gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Welcome back to my two cents podcast. I'm your host G2. Today episode is 117, which is entitled crazy. Now, before I get into today's topics, what I would like for you guys to do the listeners, if you could just hit that subscribe wherever you are listening to this podcast from, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbeam, Audible, all the other podcast sites that you're listening to this on. If you could just hit the subscribe button or the follow button, that'd be great because that list is algorithm be pushed out to everybody. Let the podcast be known to everybody. And the further along it gets pushed, the better off it becomes for me and hopefully i get more sponsorships or something down the line so with that being said i thank you now before i get into today's topics i want to go off the national food days of the week today being march the 12th it is baked scallops day as well as milky way day tomorrow march 13th it is chicken noodle soup day march 14th it is steak day and pie day as well as potato chip day march 15th peanut lovers day march 16th Artichoke Heart Day. March 17th, it is St. Patrick's Day, so that means you eat your uh, corned beef, your cabbage, all that type of stuff, and potatoes. March 18th, to round it off, it is Sloppy Joe Day. Now to start with the first topic of today, I want to wish my condolences to uh, the Jehovah Witnesses that lost their life and the families that lost their loved ones in Germany, as it's come from Reuters, as it states, German gunmen kill six people, unborn child, at Jehovah Witness Hall. Now, going into the article, a gunman in Germany shot six people dead before killing himself at a Jehovah Witness worship hall in Hamburg, authorities said on Friday, in an attack that is bound to renew calls for stricter gun controls. Eight other people were wounded, including a seven-month pregnant woman who lost her unborn daughter, police and prosecutors said at a news conference. Officials said they had been tipped off about the perpetrator but had not taken away his legally owned gun before the shooting at an event on thursday night the killer's motives remained unknown but a political reason has been ruled out the official said authorities would identify the gunman as philip f the 35 year old a former jehovah witness a german citizen began shooting through a window at the hall where dozens of people were gathered before entering he shot himself on the first floor when police arrived minutes after the shooting started shortly after 9 p.m the police said So again, I want to wish my condolences to the people that lost their lives here, the families that lost loved ones here, especially the woman that lost her pregnancy due to this shooting. Um, This thing was not something anybody wanted to hear this week. I think nobody wants to hear about any type of shootings ever, but it's become a natural part of the course in life now. You're going to hear shootings almost, if not every week, almost bi-weekly. You're going to hear about somebody do some type of shootings. And again, I want to let everybody know what's going on, stay current, what's going down right now. And again, wish my condolences to everyone in Germany. And for public record, I want this to be stated. I think there needs to be some type of test for people buying guns. I know people are going to constantly say, yo, people should be able to hold guns and buy type of guns. Hey, that's fine. I think there just needs to be a test to see if someone is mentally capable every year or if not every year, or at least bi-monthly with people. And people might say, Joe, that's a little excessive. When you see gun, well, shooters, literally bi-weekly, having a shoot-off or doing something, if not bi-weekly, almost every month with a shooting somewhere, I think there needs to be some type of training or some type of test that whenever somebody has a gun, they have to go through mentally to see where they're at mentally, to see where they're at uh daily because certain people they have guns and they might not even think about using their gun but then some just snaps off in them one day and they just go and shoot somebody or go off and do something like this and then you have people that wait for some time and then they create a plan and they just do it so i think in reality i think that there needs to be some type of test whenever somebody buys a gun or someone who wants to go and purchase another gun and i think that people that already have their license to carry a gun I think they need to get tested literally almost about every year just to make sure they're capable mentally to hold a gun inside their home. I'm not saying ban guns for people's homes. I will say ban like the heavy artillery style weapons from somebody's home. If you want to fire those at a a gun show, not a gun show, but like a gun range, then you can do that there. 
that's fine. But owning one, I do not condone that. If you want to buy like a 9mm, that's fine. That's a handgun. But any type of heavy artillery style weapon, I don't uh, condone that. But getting off that, again, my condolences to everyone that lost their life over there in Germany. Now moving over to the state side slash Mexico over here. Over here in the States, uh, we had four people from the States go down to Mexico because one person was supposed to get a procedure done. But in the end, those four people ended up getting uh, kidnapped by a Mexican cartel. And two of them happened to die while the other two were able to come back. Um, This was a sad situation that happened this week. And the crazy thing about that was that now it's being said that the cartel has gave up five people that are responsible for this and they gave over the weapons that were used for this and they even wrote a letter uh apologizing for this as this comes from the Associated Press and a letter obtained by the Associated Press through a Tamalita state law enforcement official the Scorpions faction of the Gulf Cartel apologized to the residents of Matamoras where the Americans were kidnapped the Mexican woman who died in the cartel shootout and the four Americans and their families we have decided to turn over those who were directly involved and responsible in the events who at all times acted under their own decision making and lack of discipline. The letter reads, adding that those individuals have gone through the cartel rules, which included respecting the life and well-being of the innocents. Drug cartels have been known to issue communes to intimidate rivals and authorities, but also at times like these as public relations work to try to smooth over situations that could affect their business. And last Friday's violence in Matamoras was bad for cartel business. So that is the reason why they turned over the five guys that were allegedly doing those uh, acts. And again, the funny thing about that is that you never ever really hear about someone turning over someone. You don't hear about the Mexican cartel turning over their own people. Hell, I don't think you even hear about any other group turning over their own people. I don't think you hear about the mafia turning their own people unless they're like ratting for the FBI, like that type situation. I don't think you hear anything about the Yakuza. If so, it doesn't make big national headline news like this made headline news. But the reason why this made headline news was because there were Americans killed in this situation. And for me, I just don't understand why you did that. I understand that you guys want to take people as a part of their situation. They take people and they might hold them hostage for some reason or whatever the world they have you. But you're not supposed to kill no one. And that's apparently one of their rules in uh, Mexico for the criminals because it comes from the New York Times. They wrote an article and they, the head title was criminals in Mexico violated their own unwritten rule. Leave Americans alone. In the article further down, it would have a paragraph stating while Mexican drug cartels thrive in a vacuum of law and order that persistence inside Mexico, there is an unwritten rule that many members of an organized crime groups are careful not to cross. Do not touch Americans. The United States takes attacks on its citizens seriously, and the response to such violence on both sides of the border can be ruinous for a Mexican crime group. When American citizens are targeted, it brings pressure from the U.S. government they get their security agencies involved, and then they start putting pressure on Mexico to act. A Mexican security researcher at the University of California, San Diego, would report. The worst thing for the cartels is that they have to dedicate resources to countering Mexican authorities that mostly leave them alone, she added. It's not good for business. So, right here is basically saying that cartel members, they're not trying to mess with Americans because if you do, America will bring down their forces, they'll get in contact with Mexico's forces and now you got American and Mexico authority forces coming down upon you and they're basically outgunned. You're out maneuvered by everyone. So it's best just to not touch Americans. So in this instance, Americans got touched. Do I think that the cartel gave over their five guys? I don't think so. I don't think they gave over their five guys. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate. If they did, brava, congratulations. But do I think that's going to stop uh, the Mexican authorities and or American authorities from getting at them? No, because somebody has to pay for this. Somebody has to. And it's just egregious how this was able to happen. But you got to remember, you're playing on somebody else's uh, soil here. You got to be careful what type of neighborhood you're driving into when you get into certain places. That's why whenever you are going to another country, you need to look at 
their laws. You need to look at, okay, where's a safe place? Uh, that's the reason why whenever people go on these vacations, you always hear about them going to hotels. They don't really like visit it like the heart of a city like that, the heart of a country like that, because even though that's the heart of a country, you still got people that are inside the heart of said country that might want to just take your head off or try to just take anything that they can away from you. And that's essentially what happened here. I think that the four Americans, they say they went into a bad part of Mexico that they are not supposed to go into. They're a dangerous part. And that's what happened. They got uh, kidnapped, two people died, and two people came back home. And the thing about this is that the person that they were supposed to go down there for, there were three men, one woman, the woman was supposed to get some type of procedure done. She did not die. Her and another guy came back, while the other two, they happened to die. So that's the thing here. The two men that died here, they didn't even weren't supposed to even be there. They were just there for support for their quote-unquote friend, I believe here. So with me saying all of that, I just want people to be careful of where they are stepping their foot onto, what land or what place they're actually in whenever they go to another country. So again, my rule of thumb is, one, look at the laws. Two, look at the places that are safe to and places that are not safe to go in that country that you are visiting. So you won't end up in a situation like this. And also, for anybody that's out there about to go on a trip, do those things that I'm telling you. Look up places that are safe and places that are not, and also look up the laws. And also, people that are out there that are part of a crime syndicate, because I don't know who's listening to this, that might be. Just want to give you a friendly heads up here. Do not touch someone that's not around from that country, because they might be from a different country. You don't know how those uh, countries' laws play around. You don't know if that person is important to that country, or you don't know how that country might fare if you take one of their people from that country. So again, please be careful what you're doing. I'm not trying to stop nobody's situation. A, people are going to do crime. They're going to do it. That's fine. Whatever the case may be. But just be careful as well if you're going to plan to kidnap someone. But again, I don't want to misconstrue my feelings on this. I want to wish my condolences to the people that did lose their lives on this situation. And also to the people that came back home. The two people that came back home. Because now they have to deal with the trauma of one, being kidnapped. And two, possibly seeing their friends get murdered in front of them. So I want to wish my prayers unto them and also prayers to the families that lost loved ones in this uh, tragic casualty here. Now, staying in Mexico here, I want to talk about something that happened in Mexico months ago, and it's the Shanquilla Robinson case. For people that don't remember what Shanquilla Robinson case is, it was a black girl that went down to Mexico with a group of friends or quote unquote friends. And there was a video circulating around on the Internet of uh, Miss Robinson basically getting beat down and she was not fighting back. It seemed like she was out there, uh, not going to say intoxicated. She just didn't look like someone that should be in a situation that's fighting. And she wasn't fighting. She was literally getting beat up on by someone while someone else was recording this. And she got beat down. And days later, she ended up dying and she is dead. And she, her body was shipped back to her parents and the family of Miss Robinson are accusing FBI of not doing all that they could in that death case, as this comes from Yahoo News. More than four months after the death of Shanquilla Robinson, a 25-year-old Charlotte, North Carolina woman who died under mysterious circumstances while on a trip with six friends to Mexico, lawyers for the family have accused the FBI of not doing enough to arrest a suspect in the case, despite a bevy of mounting evidence. The FBI's response in the current case demonstrates that the United States attorneys and the federal police agencies are not doing all they could do in Shaquilla's case. Attorney Sue Ann Robinson, who has no relation to the family, told Yahoo News. There seems to be no activity on behalf of Shaquilla. Attorney Ben Crump added, Robinson and Crump, who together represent the family, say the federal agency's response to the four Americans kidnapped in Mexico last week and his subsequent fervor to solve the case, including a $50,000 reward offering or evidence of protocol in place that isn't being followed in the same way for Shanquilla Robinson. Obviously, they know how to have that high level of intervention with the appropriate Mexican authorities because they did it immediately for the recent kidnapped Americans, attorney Robinson said. Our clients are very understanding of the level of complication in a transnational criminal case, but there's a protocol, so why isn't the protocol being used? The FBI has said its investigation is ongoing, but did not respond to multiple requests for comment from Yahoo News. 
So Shaquille Robinson's family feel that the FBI are not doing all they can to actually get someone arrested for uh, Ms. Robinson's death here. And to be honest with you, I was thinking about this whenever that whole situation popped up this week. I was going to actually research uh, what's going down, but apparently when I saw this article pop up, I was like, okay, thank God he actually answered my prayers here, and apparently nothing's going down. Nothing's being followed up, nothing is uh, being, literally, it's just nothing. It seems that nothing's going down for Ms. Robinson, and it's still weird. You have a video of someone beating the brakes off of her, and you haven't arrested them for nothing. It's it's disgusting, to be honest with you. You would think that with a video of someone getting their head beat up and their back beat up, and I mean, there's that video just floating around that everybody can see. She got tore up, and people just standing around just watching it. How do you not arrest someone for that? That's assault. At best, if you wanted to do something to someone, you could arrest them for that and hold them and actually charge them for assault until you get something they could actually put them up for the, well, death of Miss Robinson. You could arrest someone. You have seen, I'm just going to state it right now, we have seen people be arrested for far less. We have heard about people going after gangsters, and you couldn't arrest them for murder, but by God, you will arrest them for tax evasion. How are you not able to arrest someone literally getting their head boom-bapped on video? Proof. What are we doing here? This is absolute insanity. This is nuts. How how does this thing even go down? And for you guys to give a five, no, backtrack that, $50,000 reward offering in the case for the four missing Americans that were kidnapped, you offered that, but apparently you guys didn't offer that for the Robinson situation. What are we doing? This is disgusting. I mean, I'm hoping that they at least put the hammer down on somebody in Mexico to at least give up more evidence. I don't need what more type of evidence they need. I wish that uh, someone inside uh, the FBI or someone that's representing the Robinson family would throw out the type of evidence that apparently the FBI have to let everybody know this is the evidence that they have. This is the stuff that they have and they have not arrested someone yet for it. That's what I'm waiting for. Usually, you would at least hear some type of leak of evidence or leak of information being out here, but I haven't seen not a one because if so, the news or somebody online would at least pick it up, and I would have saw it at least on one of those articles that you read whenever they're like flashing up on Yahoo or something like that, but I haven't seen not a one yet. So hopefully with this now, at least on the forefront of people, we at least start seeing the ball rolling and at least some justice for Miss Robinson at least comes about. That's at least what I'm hoping here. Now off to the next topic here as this comes from Insider. A Louisiana police officer let his dog attack a 14-year-old black child who was not resisting. As the dog gnarled on the child's arm, the officer said, Stop fighting my dog, DOJ said in a bombshell report. A Louisville Metro police officer unleashed his police dog on a 14-year-old boy who was spotted lying on the ground, leading to severe injuries and hospitalization, according to a report published on Wednesday by the Department of Justice. The findings are part of the DOJ's broader two-year investigation into the Louisville Metro Police Department and the Louisville-Jefferson County Metro government that was launched after Breonna Taylor was killed during a raid by seven officers in March 2020. The police dog incident occurred during a search for a home invasion suspect, according to the DOJ, which reviewed a video of the encounter, the date of the incident, and the name of the officer were not disclosed. The officer was leading his dog to search for a person suspected of a home invasion. After searching for several minutes, the officer saw a teenager lying on the ground, face down in the grass. The Justice Department wrote in this report, Immediately after noticing the teen, the officer deployed his dog off-leash without giving any warning and ordered the dog to bite the teen at least seven times. Damn! During the encounter, the teen remained prone and pleaded, Okay, okay, help, get the dog Please, the report stated, as officers continued to stand over him and shout orders for about 30 seconds while the dog gnawed on his arm. At one point, an officer shouted, stop fighting my dog, despite video showing the teen still laying with one arm behind his back and the other in the dog's mouth, according to the report. The teen suffered severe injuries on his arm and back and was admitted to Children's Hospital. 
The Justice Department's larger report concluded that the police department and government agency exhibited a pattern of misconduct, excessive use of force, and discrimination. The Department of Justice has reasonable cause to believe that Louisville slash Jefferson County Metro Government and the Louisville Metro Police Department engage in a pattern or practice of conduct that deprives people of their rights under the Constitution and federal law, the report stated. Now, continuing on in the article, they would make another report uh, be known that included another police dog incident during which the DOJ said officers found a white man lying face up on his back in his boxers with his hands up. The man tried to comply with the officer's orders while the dog continued to bite his foot for nearly a minute in both incidences. Officers should not have ordered their dogs to bite the people involved. Both were trying to comply with orders and were not resisting, the DOJ wrote. Because these bites went on for far longer than was necessary, and given the way that officers spoke to these individuals, we have serious concerns that these uses of force were punitive, reflecting a dangerous lack of self-control by the officers and subjecting these individuals to excruciating use of force far beyond lawful limits. No crap, that's kind of what police have been doing for years and years and years to citizens. It doesn't always have to be black people that they do it to. You can see that they've done it to white folks. You see that they've done it to Hispanic folks. They've done it to everyone under the rainbow here. But it's just that it always gets focused on black people here. However, I'm glad that the DOJ actually did do a deep dive into the police department over here. And hopefully things do change. I'm not saying every cop is evil. But I'm not saying that I mess around with cops either. Because I don't like cops. I just don't. I think a fair good portion of people in America don't like cops just because of what we have seen a video being published out there either, again, weekly or monthly with officers out there. Again, there's good officers out there, but boy, oh boy, do we see a damning amount of evidence that would show you that there are a lot of officers that don't give two farts about the badge or about their whole, uh, pledge that they did take to become an officer. You can see a lot of that going down. And I'm glad that a lot of that has been put out there in the front street so people can see, yo, it's just not always, quote unquote, the blacks being black people. It's not always us fitting a stereotypical narrative that you could just think that, oh, he must have deserved that. No, there's a lot of situation, a lot of nasty people in the police stations that are just doing nasty things because one, they don't get paid enough, so they don't care. Either two, they abuse power so they will abuse it to as far and wide as they can or three it could be a combination of literally i don't get enough pay so now i gotta take my anger out on somebody else so that's literally what could happen here so i'm glad that the doj actually did look into it now do i expect something to happen maybe will it though i don't think so because how many times have we seen like videos go down and there's been quote unquote reports that have been filed and nothing happened of police officers a lot. So do I think anything's going to happen here with the Louisville uh, Metro Police? I don't see nothing, but if it does, I'll be glad. And I'm hoping that the people over there actually get a better police force. Because again, I think police are necessary, but just the way that we see police officers now I don't think nobody wants to really call them even if they're in danger. They just rather say, you know what, I'll handle it myself because police officers are not going to do nothing or they'll attack the wrong person. But hopefully we'll wait and see what the situation goes down further along. But I just want to report that here. Now off to the next topic as this comes from Rolling Stone. As the report would read, man seeks $1 million each from ex-wife's friends allegedly helped her find abortion pills. A Texas man is suing his ex-wife's friends for $1 million each, accusing the woman of conspiracy and wrongful death after they allegedly helped their friend procure pills to terminate an unwanted pregnancy. The lawsuit, the first that is believed to have been filed in Texas since abortion was criminalized in the state this summer, was filed in Galveston County on behalf of a man named Marcus Silva by Texas State Representative Briscoe Kane and Jonathan Mitchell, the state's former solicitor general. According to the complaint, Silva and his ex-wife divorced last month. She is accused of terminating her pregnancy in July of 2022. Silva, the lawyers say in the suit, recently learned of the defendant's involvement in the murder of his child, and he brings suit against them for wrongful death and conspiracy. The lawsuit includes photographs of the text messages from a group chat called Babes that chronicle the woman's efforts to help their friend. 
Those efforts included searching for an out-of-state clinic that could accommodate her, offering links to the online website Aid Access, which Texas legislators have recently proposed banning, and finally connecting her with a third party who offers to provide the pills. The woman confides to her friends about the toxic relationship she is in and the panic experience realizing she is pregnant. I know either way he will use it against me, she writes. She expressed gratitude for their support. I'm so lucky to have y'all really in frustration with Texas restrictive abortion laws, wishing it was available here so I could take a day to get it done. In the messages, one of the defendants offers to let the woman recuperate at her home after taking the pills, a gesture Silva's lawyers declare equivalent with allowing the woman to use her residence for the murder. Another message also bears a warning from a member of the chat, delete all conversations from today, you don't want him looking through it. Words the lawyers declare is proof the defendants sought to destroy evidence of their crimes in violation of Texas Penal Code 37.09D. I don't understand why the hell they have to write some type of penal code like that. It's so stupid. Anywho, they would go further along to state that this is a civil lawsuit. No criminal charges have been filed against the woman. And they would say that the lawyers assist that a person who assists a pregnant woman in obtaining a self-managed abortion has managed, well, has committed the crime of murder and can be sued for wrongful death. Okay, cool. So that's what he's trying to do here. He's seeking a million dollars each from the friends. Listen here, I don't agree with it and I don't stand with it i believe that a woman should be able to get an abortion if she wants to dude listen here you know the funny thing is women they go through a multitude of different changes in their lives you think about it a woman has to grow up as a little girl first and then they start experiencing well puberty or as they call it a period for them and they start going through that and then guess what now, if a woman gets pregnant, they have to go through a situation that they get cravings. They go through uh, different circumstances for each woman. They got different things. Certain women, they don't gain as much weight. Certain women gain a lot of weight. Certain women, they deal with aches and pains. Certain women, they don't have as much aches and pains as others. And then that's what it all comes down to. How do they deliver the baby? And after that, they got to deal with uh, postpartum and they deal with a lot of things and then they go down and be mothers and then they still do it a lot of other emotions and then they constantly go and go until they hit menopause and then there you go women they go through hella stages in their career in life men we only go through two stages to be truly honest with you we go with being a little boy till being a teenager and then we start hitting puberty and ta-da, and once we hit puberty, we start morphing into a man. Those are literally two stages that a man goes through, legit in life. Now, I dare for men to say, oh, we go through more than that. No, you don't. No, we don't. I'm a man. I'm telling you right now. No, we do not. Seriously. We only go through two stages in life. Literally, being a small boy to being a teenager developing with puberty, and that's it. We, what? Your voice changes. You start getting facial hair. Certain people can't grow facial hair. There you go. But that's all we do. How are we able to say what a woman can or cannot do with their body? Let's truly be honest here. Let's really have that conversation. I want to have a man-to-man conversation with all the dudes here. From dudes that think that you can actually restrict a woman from getting an abortion, literally stop and ask yourself, what type of right do I have to stop a woman from getting an abortion? There is no right that we have. A woman has to carry the baby. The woman has to do all these type of things. The only thing we do, we just basically ejaculate inside of them if we want to have them become pregnant or you and the woman decide to become pregnant and get her pregnant. That's what you do. Certain times people have accidental pregnancies. We've seen it multitudes of times. Certain people actually mean to trap a woman to say, yo, I know she isn't going to get a divorce, so I'm going to have her be my baby mama. That type of stuff happens. I'm not going to try to act like it doesn't. And certain women, they get pregnant by people because they want to actually be pregnant by a person and trap a man. It happens all the time. But for me as a man, I can't truly tell a woman, hey, you got to get an abortion. I can't. Now, a man can do this, though. A man can say, yo, I want nothing to do with the baby. I want to file some paperwork to say, yo, if she has this baby, I want nothing to do with it. That's what a man can do legally. Now, will men get shunned for that? Certain men will shun it. Certain people will not. Because guess what? It's all about the type of stage and mindset that you are in at that time. And that's just the way of life. I don't think men, we really have a legitimate say-say if a woman keeps a baby or not. 
They're the one that's literally have to hold a baby in their stomach, in their body, literally for eight months. Some people push nine months. Women keep that. Women got to make that decision. I want a woman to have the discussion with other women. I think that should be a legitimate, be a woman group situation right there. Now, the only time I feel that a man should ever have to step in and say, yo, we need to get an abortion is if both you and her are not living right. If she's on drugs and hopped up on something, then I can say, yo, you got to get an abortion because you don't want to have a drugged out baby. Now, that's what I can say. A man should be able to step in. But other than that, unless she asks you about, yo, what do you think about us being pregnant? Then you extend your opinions about that. Other than that, yo, dog, as a dude, we should stay out of this. This is not our thing. I don't respect this guy for that at all. He should just take this up as a loss. You just want to hurt someone because they hurt you. You're still mad. You and your wife got a divorce and you want to get at her and her friends. That's what you want to do here in this situation. Just call spade a spade. Just say, yo, I'm hurt and I want to hurt them. You're trying to sue them for a million dollars for them allegedly helping out your ex-wife. Dog, stop it. This is disgusting. This is outrageous. This is crazy. Stop it. This shouldn't be happening, but hey, I'm going to wait and see. If this thing actually goes on and he actually wins, that is going to be crazy. And that's going to set a new precedence for everyone, at least in Texas. Then men are really going to be going out here trying to gangbuster on women with, yo, she killed my baby for an abortion. I want money from her now. That is going to be gangbusters with dudes. So hopefully it might not go through. And if it does, boy, are we going to see a lot of men uh, ganking money from women? It's coming. Now, on to the next topic, since this comes from USA Today, their son committed a Michigan school shooting. Now they're facing manslaughter charges. We're talking about the Crumleys here, James and Jennifer Crumley. These are the parents of Ethan Crumley, the student who murdered four students and injured seven others in the November 2021 shooting at Oxford High School in Michigan. Um, They were in appeals court on Tuesday as they are basically the first parents in America to be charged with a massive school shooting and they're trying to figure out whether they're going to be stuck with the charges or not. The court focused that day why they brought their son a gun despite his mental health troubles and why they didn't take him home after seeing his note that read the thoughts won't stop me as this comes from USA Today. There were warning signs all over the place. Michigan Court of Appeals Judge Christopher Yates said during a one hour hearing The appeals court is trying to decide if the Crumleys should stand trial on involuntary manslaughter charges for the actions of their son, Ethan Crumley, who pleaded guilty to murder charges last year. The Michigan Supreme Court last year ordered the appeals court to hear the case at the request of the Crumleys, who have long maintained they had no idea their son would carry out a mass school shooting and want the charges thrown out. The court Tuesday appeared focused on the Crumleys' actions and inactions, noting the parents had brought their son the gun that was used in the shooting, despite knowing he was struggling mentally and hallucinating months earlier. Now, the judge also questioned why the parents didn't bring their son home from school when they were summoned over a troubled uh, drawing he made in the math class on the morning of the shooting, didn't hug him in the counselor's office when they were called in over the violent drawing, and why they didn't check his backpack that day. The prosecution argues the key issue in this case is foreseeability, that the Crumleys knew their son had access to a gun and was struggling mentally, and that the parents, more than anyone else, could have prevented the massacre, had the parents taken their son home or at least told the school that he had access to a gun. But they failed to do so and should therefore be held criminally responsible, the prosecution argued. Now, the parents' attorneys would say that they were not involved in the planning of the shooting, the lawyers for the Crumleys argued the prosecution is overreaching in trying to hold the parents responsible for their son's actions. I will condone that these parents made tremendously bad decisions, but criminal trials are not based on whether parents made the right decisions or did the right things. Their defense attorney argues, stressing the case will set a dangerous precedent for parents everywhere if allowed to proceed. But the liability in this case rests with the son, not the parents, their attorney argued. The thing they did not do is plot this murder, hold the gun and shoot the kids, said Smith, their attorney, who also noted that Ethan Crumley, who was 15 15 at the time of the shooting, was charged as an adult and pleaded guilty to all charges. We have a person who put together this plan, but that's not what's being charged here. Later noting the facts of this case align more with the case involving the termination of parental rights. So you got there 
attorney for the Crumley saying, yo, listen, we had nothing to do with this. Um, our son did all this. Why are we facing any type of backlash or any type of crime for this situation? Well, you got the prosecution who are stating facts from that particular day and months earlier saying that Ethan have uh, struggled with mental problems and hallucinating months earlier. Why did the parents happen to buy their son a gun if he had all these mental problems and also why they didn't do something or take action on that specific day where Ethan was called into the office over said specific uh, disturbing drawing where he basically said that he can't help it anymore. He needs help. The words won't stop. Something of that. I'm paraphrasing here, but you get my drift. The kid was basically calling for help in a drawing and the parents still did nothing for it. That's basically what the prosecution is arguing that the parents have some type of responsibility because they didn't take their kid home and that all this crap from the shootings could have actually been literally not have happened. So here's my stance on this. And right now we're still allegedly everything because, again, nobody has been found guilty or nothing. The only person that has been found guilty of anything is the son. So for the parents right now, this is still alleged for all these circumstances here. My thing on this is that if the parents knew about all of this and they've gotten calls and they were called down to the guidance counselor's uh, office and they saw the drawing, they know all of this and they knew about their kids mental health problems they hold some type of responsibility they do because if you mean to tell me that you knew about your kids mental not being right you knew on that specific day you saw a drawing that said the words won't stop help me and there's some type of disturbing image on a photo that the guidance counselor is bringing to you you have the responsibility as a parent to take that kid out. And it's also the school's responsibility to make sure that you, as the parent, take that damaged kid out to get him help for you as a parent to do that. Now, the school, they failed tremendously. I'm not going to not blame the school for this at all. The school has some accountability in this because they allowed that kid to go right back into the classroom. And that's where all this crap happened. They should have had that kid get packed up and, yo, you're taking your kid, get him out of here. So the parent had no other choice to deal with it. But any sane, any reasonable, any parent that cares so much about their kid, mental, they would get their kid and bring him out of school. As soon as they see all these disturbing images, they would have talked to him. They would have did all these things. But right now, from what the prosecution is literally lobbying out there, it shows that the parents did not. And even the defense, they're saying, yo, we're not saying that these parents did anything good. We know that they messed up tremendously. The prosecution is right in their stances. The defense is basically saying, yo, we did not put the gun in our kid's hand and we did not shoot these kids. That's all the defense is stating. That's not, in my personal opinion, that's not, that's not worthy. That's not, no. You're already admitting fault when you say that you guys were not taking care of your kids' mental welfare. You already are admitting to that full blunt. So that means you hold some responsibility for your kids' mental in this situation. And the mental is what got him into this situation and start shooting that school up. That's what happened. So if you go by anything, you got to look at the first dominoes. In dominoes, when you set up a big structure, you always look at the first domino piece that knocks down and knocks over everything. You always look at who knocked over the first domino to set everything in motion. This is basically that in the court's opinion, for at least the prosecution, the parents, they're the first domino. They should have looked after their kid more and they should have yanked the kid out. And again, I still hold the school responsible for this. But since the school has not been at least charged with anything, to my knowledge right now, the parents are right now in court. The parents have to get some type of, they got to do something. The court has to do something and set the example for all the other parents in America. The Crumleys, they're going to have to face some type of situation, some type of punishment for this, because again, they knew. They knew something wasn't right with their kid. They knew it was off top. So the Crumleys, they're going to be the first parents in America to be charged with a mass school shooting. Hey, that's just going to have to be, they're just going to be the sacrificial lamb to set a precedence for all the other parents with kids that are not right mentally in the head and feel like they want to shoot up a school. 
they are going to have to look after their kids more. I'm not saying that you can't be negligent sometimes because guess what? Being a parent, you're constantly working and you got to come home and then looking after your kid and all this type of stuff, paying the bills and all that, making food, making dinner. I understand all that stuff weighs and it has a toll on a parent. I'm not excusing or trying to deny any of that. All that stuff plays a big part of it. But when your kid is not right mentally, you have a duty as a parent to take some time out out of everything and look after and say, hey, how are you doing? Just to see how they are doing. Make sure that they can feel open to talk to you. And even though you might, as a parent, do that, sometimes some kids still won't do it. I think the kicker here is the parents, they knew because the school office called them in to have them look at a drawing. See, that's what set it all in motion, at least to me. And also, uh, there was another incident like in months ago from what the prosecution is saying that uh, the kid got caught looking up ammunition for a gun and the mother was notified of this and the mother texted her son, you got to be careful next time, LOL, something around that. Again, I'm paraphrasing. So again, the parents kind of knew something was off with their kids. I think that's what's basically going to be uh, levied more in this towards the prosecution to basically charge the parents with some type of charge here. So let this be a warning shot towards every parent out there with kids that you aren't really certain of their mental or you might be certain of how they are going mentally and you might be worried or okay my kid might be a school shooter or whatever may have you look after them see what's going on be a active presence more because again with the day and age of social media and all this type of stuff you got to be real heavy active in everything that your kid is going through in everything. Because again, kids are no longer just bullied at school. They're bullied online. They're uh, mentally looking at everything. And I mean, absolutely everything. They're looking at what their peers are doing on vacations, what their peers have at home compared to what they have. It's a constant look at me thing for social media with teenagers and everything else. So as a parent, now more than ever, it's crucial for you to look after what your kid is doing and look after them mentally, see how they're doing. So again, this is just basically me telling the parents out there, look at the Crumleys, look at what they did wrong, and I hope that you guys can see what they did wrong, and hopefully it can change something in yourselves to either A, look after your kid if you weren't already doing it, or B, look more into what your kid is doing. Because you don't want to end up in a situation like this as the Crumleys are ending up in this said situation. Now on to the next topic as it's coming from NBC News. Six-year-old who shot teacher won't face charges, prosecutor says. The city prosecutor in Newport News, Virginia, said Wednesday that he will not seek charges against six-year-old boy who shot his elementary school teacher in January, but has yet to decide whether any adults associated with the case could be held criminally liable. In an interview with NBC News, Commonwealth's attorney Howard Gwynn said the prospect that a six-year-old could stand trial is problematic, given that a child that young wouldn't have the competency to understand the legal system and what a charge means or adequately assist an attorney. It's not unheard of for an adolescent of that age to be arrested in general, and a six-year-old could be criminally charged under Virginia law, but Gwen said that he does not believe there is a legal bias to charge a child and that his office, after receiving the case in February from Newport News Police, is focusing on others. Our objective is not just to do something as quickly as possible, Gwen said. Once we analyze all the facts, we will charge any person or persons that we believe can prove beyond a reasonable doubt committed a crime. So they're not charging the six-year-old kid. I didn't think they would personally and still being questioned whether um, the parents of the six-year-old will be charged because, again, he took the gun from their home and went to the school and shot the teacher with said gun. And it's still worth noting that we don't know if the teacher of that school is going to be suing that school. I think that she should because, again, there's been moments that the teacher's lawyer has mentioned that the school was notified that the uh, student had a gun on three separate occasions and they still did nothing about it and which led to basically her getting shot. So I don't, I hope that she sues the school personally. 
because again, you can't allow crap like that to happen because when you're notified of something, dog, you guys got to take action. But again, this is all alleged. All that stuff's allegedly. You got to prove all this and all that with uh, things being said. So if, I'll go with that. If the school was notified of those three times, they need to be held responsible. They need to be sued off top by the teacher. But only time will tell. I will be giving you guys more updates about this said case because I am really interested in this case. Seeing a or hearing about a six-year-old shooting a teacher, that's just trippy and crazy all on its own. So I'm going to be waiting to see what's going to go down. And again, when more information comes out, I'll be reporting it to you and Again, the only two things I'm worried about now in this case is one, is the teacher going to sue the school? And two, is the parents going to be charged with any type of, well, crime alleged to this uh, situation here? So we'll have to wait and see as uh, more information comes out. Now to the next topic, as it's come from Fox News, a Texas elementary school principal has been arrested for allegedly bringing cocaine to campus, according to reports Wednesday. Jessica Sanchez is charged with possession of a controlled substance in a drug-free zone. KTRK TV first reported she was arrested after an employee found the drugs in a restroom at Travis Elementary in Baytown, Texas. We will not, under any circumstance, tolerate this type of behavior in our schools. Our campuses are a safe haven for students, and we will not have students in unsafe environments. The Goose Creek Consolidated ISD said in a statement. Court records cited by the outlet says Sanchez has posted a $5,000 bond and was expected to be released. Sanchez's page on Travis Elementary Official's website has been released. Uh, Okay, so we had a teacher bringing, well, allegedly cocaine to a school. Uh, Listen, I'm not going to tell anybody what to do on their private time because, again, that's your private time away from your uh, working hours or your work but when you bring something private like that to work, and again, this is all alleged because it says allegedly, when you bring cocaine to a school, my dog, what are you doing? You got to get some type of help when you're down bad, and I mean that bad, that you got to bring your controlled substance to the school for you to do it. You got to seek some type of help. Again, I'm not going to tell anybody what to do on their private time. I think you shouldn't do cocaine. I don't think you should do any type of uh Drugs does not at least prescribe to you by a doctor, but even then, those are still a uh, tribute because anybody could fake an injury or something like that and say they need some type to be prescribed for anything. But again, I'm not going to tell or be a uh, person that's going to constantly, hey, don't do this, don't do that. You're adults, you're going to do whatever you want. I'm just saying that if you're going to do these type of substance, do them away from your job, do them away from a place or where anybody's going to see you. Because again, for an employee to see what they saw, the found the drug in the restroom, that means you were straight up just not caring. You just did not care at all. It's just weird. It's just, well, negligent, to be honest with you. So hopefully, I hope this lady does get help first and foremost. And secondly, let this be a warning to everybody. Don't be stupid. Don't bring your controlled substance to a school. Or your place of work and try to do it. Because again, you will be narked out. You will be told about. And guess what? You're just being an idiot at that point. Now to the next topic as this comes from Boston 25 News. As it states, a police has a college girl who racked up $500,000 in fraudulent purchases while working at Burlington Mall. A local college student is under arrest for racking up $500,000 worth of fraudulent charges in a credit card scheme. She has been running since February, authorities allege. Ariel Foster, who's 19 of Boston, was charged with larceny over $1,200. Burlington police say during the month of February, Foster was using an elaborate credit card scam at her place of work in the Burlington Mall, Lovisa, to fund lavish purchases. Lovisa is a jewelry store, so I'm thinking they're saying that she worked at this lavish uh, jewelry store. On three separate dates, Foster would scan items from the store and increase their price, according to officials. The cost of an expensive item was then allegedly refunded to her credit card, where investigators found eight transactions for a total company loss of $547,187. Police say between February 2nd and February 22nd, Foster brought a $35,000 Tesla, made nearly $6,000 worth of transactions to Delta 
Airlines bought almost 5,000 worth of Louis Vuitton purchases and spent more than 20,000 for a hotel in Maui, Hawaii, using their credit card scheme. After serving a subpoena to Foster's financial institutions, authorities found these expenses refund transactions stemming from LaVisa America LLC. A search warrant was executed on her dorm room at Lizelle University on Wednesday, where she was taken into custody without incident. We are aware that a Lizelle University student was arrested on Wednesday, March 8th. The Lizelle University said in a statement, the responsibility of all of our students to comply with local, state, and federal laws applies both on and off campuses. Okay, so she was well arrested for this. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but I will say this. Brava. Bravo to her for actually getting that off, but you only got it off for a month. That was a month. And let me make this perfectly clear. I am not condoning so much the fraudulent scheme because, again, I don't want nobody to do any type of thing that's going to get themselves in jail or in any uh, type of legal troubles. But when you hear about somebody outdoing the system, you got to think, come on now, that is somebody that really thought about this, but she didn't think about it so much because she only got a month's worth out of this, but she did get some flights out of it from Delta Airlines, and she got a car, and she got to spend some time in Hawaii in a hotel that was worth 20, no, spent more than $20,000 on that hotel, so she lived her best life at least during the month of February, Black History Month, so congratulations for her to do that, but Yo, dog, I just don't, I can't rock with it. I can't, I can give applause whenever you can get the scheme off, but dude, you put yourself in trouble for what? That was nothing. This is absolutely nothing. You got other people out here that's doing legit long-term white-collar crime that has still not been caught for these schemes. You at least should have looked more into it. You're 19. I understand you want the quick, fast money. But, dude, you got to figure out a way. If you're going to scheme and thieverize the way that you thieverize, you have to be smarter than that. You got to look at the people that are doing these, well, stealing and thieving away from the government. You got to look at these people and look at how they are doing it and really figure out, okay, what was their blueprint? How did they mess up so I won't get caught in this and that, yada, yada, yada. But, it is what it is. She got caught. She got 19 years old. She's probably not going to spend much time in jail, to be honest with you, because this is just money. Um, I don't know what else to say about this, personally. I just say, well, congratulations for you spending a good month of February time uh, just doing what you want. Congratulations for that. But now you got caught. You got busted. So hopefully uh, you can do the time as you did the crime, my friend. And hopefully for anybody that wants to do any other type of Stupid foolishness is this. You at least can do more research into it to make sure you don't get busted. But again, I am not condoning it. I'm just being realistic with it. That's all I'm being with this situation here. Now to the next topic, as this comes from U.S. Weekly, as this is pertaining to Tiger Woods and his ex-girlfriend split. I don't know why this is such a big thing, but it became a big thing because the ex is now trying to nullify an NDA citing sexual harassment. Tiger Woods and his ex-girlfriend Erica Herman may have quietly called it quits, but their split is seemingly about to get messy. U.S. Weekly obtained court documents on Wednesday, March 8th, filed by Herman in attempt to nullify the non-disclosure agreement that Woods had her signed when they started dating in 2017. Because of the aggressive use of Tiger Woods' NDA against her by the defendant and the trust under his control, the plaintiff is unsure whether she may disclose, among other things, facts giving rise to various legal claims she believes she has the docs read. She is also currently unsure what other information about her own life she may discuss or with whom. There is therefore an active dispute between the plaintiff and the defendant for which the plaintiff needs a clarifying decision from the court. She cited the Speak Out Act, which prohibits the judicial enforceability of a non-disclosure clause or non-disparagement clause agreed to before a dispute arises involving sexual assault or sexual harassment in violation of federal, tribal, or state law per Congress. 
Woods and Herman have yet to publicly comment on their apparent breakup, but she was notably missing at his recent golf outings. Okay, whatever. All this is coming about because Tiger Woods basically kicked his girlfriend out of his home, but it did in a uh, dubious way, the way that she's stating it, is that she said that her and Tiger was supposed to go on a vacation. Her friends, well, Tiger Woods' friends, uh, dropped her off at an airport, and that's whenever she got notified by said friends that Tiger Woods uh, is breaking up with you, and also you're out of the home now. And whenever she tried to get back into the home, Tiger Woods actually had the locks changed. So this is where all this stuff is basically stemming from. And again, I'll be giving you guys more updates on this because this is all, again, and I know you get tired of me saying it, weird. But I think when adults doing this is so petty and it's so stupid. And for her to sign an NDA, she knows what's up. You sign an NDA, you can't speak about what happened. You can't say what went down in your uh, situation with Tiger Woods. You're trying to get it thrown out. Because, well, you want to be able to speak about what you and Tiger Woods did in that said home. I don't think that should be allowed. I don't. If you and Tiger had a moment in that home, let that be between you and Tiger. Let that just be it. Now, if he did assault you and batter you and all that type of stuff, I have a question to ask. And again, this might seem so insensitive, and I don't mean it in no shape or fashion. This is just me from a man brain and all this type of stuff. So let me put that out there as a disclaimer right here. Why didn't you take a golf club and start wailing on Tiger Woods? Tiger Woods do not seem like the most hardest guy, to be honest with you. Tiger Woods seems like a softy, even from his documentary in that HBO did. Tiger Woods is literally a softy, and he has to be influenced by his people around him for him to do anything. So he's really, really easy to influence, basically what I'm trying to get at here. So if you and him have problems, and he quote-unquote sexual harassed you or any of that nature in your relationship, or he even assaulted you, why didn't you just take a golf club and start wailing on Tiger? Because again, Tiger is a softy. I just don't understand why. I don't understand if you don't have that in you, but it is what it is with that situation. So, more information is going to come out as weeks go by, but this is still just freshly new. And again, to me, I don't think this is really newsworthy like that, but for NDA to want to be broken, okay, I want to hear what's inside the NDA, what you guys did, how did Tiger treat you, because again, we only know one side of Tiger, this softy, and also this guy who happened to cheat on his wife with mad multiple women. That's the only other thing that we know about Tiger. So, if you're going to have this uh, NDA be broken, let everything rain, open up the floodgates, and explain everything we have in your relationship. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I want to talk about one last thing tonight, the Oscars. The Oscars are happening tonight, since today's episode is on a Sunday. I do want to state this. I will not be watching the Oscars. Well, maybe I might. It all depends, because you know what? That whole Chris Rock getting slapped thing by Will Smith, that kind of make my mind, like, flip back and forth on, do I want to watch the Oscars or not, because... All the lit stuff get like popped up on Twitter. So I could just basically be watching it on Twitter to see the highlights to see if something big time happened. I know on the Oscars, there no I know there's gonna be someone like making a reference to the slap because that will now live in Oscar infamy. For real, for real. And if anything, that's probably gonna make people at least tune into the Oscars at least for a good short while just to see what type of people bring it up and just to see what type of reaction is gonna get from the crowd. And hell, if I was smart. And I was in Hollywood, I would get Chris Rock just to be there, shine a light on him at one point, and he can do whatever he wants, just freestyle it. Because you know what? Chris Rock, he's in his moment right now. Last week, he had the comedy special. So it would behoove Hollywood to use Chris Rock, and at least in some capacity, for the Oscars tonight. But if something happens, I'll talk about it in the midweek uh, breakdown this upcoming Wednesday. Uh, so yeah, look forward to that on Wednesday. Something at least with the Oscars. Maybe I'll talk about something that happened that I didn't like, who should have won this award, that award. As a matter of fact, I'm stating it now. Wednesday, I'm talking about the Oscars. I'm going to talk about things that I don't like about the Oscars and things I do like about it. So expect that on Wednesday's episode. Now, let me get you guys out of here. I want to thank Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbeam, Audible, 
uh, all the other podcast sites. I don't know how many of them out there, but trust me, there's a lot. I want to thank every single one of them because without them, I wouldn't be able to give these episodes to you guys, the listeners, and I appreciate every single one of you, and I appreciate the podcast uh, websites as well because, again, we all play a big uh, cycle. We all play a big part in this. Without you guys, I wouldn't be able to just do this. I'll be one guy just shouting out into a voice, so I appreciate the podcast sites and also you, the listeners. I truly do appreciate every single one of you. Now, always remember. I love you. I love you. I love you all. I thank you. This is not a gimmick. This is me telling you guys that for real from the bottom of my hearts because, again, I am just one person from a small town. I appreciate everybody that's having to download it, people that are in the States, people out of the States. You don't know how far a podcast actually reaches people until you actually look at where the podcasts are going and then you're just surprised by it. And I'm always surprised by it every single week. So I thank every single one of you and I thank everybody that just downloads it. I hope you guys have a great Sunday. I hope you guys have a great beginning of your week. Remember to always step forward into the week with positivity. Have one foot step foot forward with positive energy. Because when you exude positive energy, positive energy is going to come right back to you. So that's the way I look at everything in life. So again, go out into the world with positivity and more than likely positivity will come back to you. That's just my way that I feel. So again, I love everybody. I love you all. I thank you all. Hope you guys have a great week. And with that being said, Kanye, could you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.